The following is a sermon that was preached at Good News Lutheran Church in Mount Horb, Wisconsin. It was preached on Sunday, May 23, 2021, on the basis of verses from John 15 and 16. For more information or to view our entire sermon library, visit goodnewslc.org. Thank you for listening. We tend to trust our eyes to such a degree that when those eyes see something that is drastically different from what we would ever expect them to see, it can be quite a disturbing thing. In fact, maybe you caught some of the commotion this past week about a video that was recently released. It was a video captured by the U.S. Navy off the coast of California. The video had actually been leaked a while back, but the big news from this past week was that the Pentagon actually confirmed that the video is, in fact, real. If you've seen the video, you know that the dark, saucer-shaped figure that it captured moves from side to side and up and down in ways that no known human spacecraft possibly can which is why quite a, bit of, quite a few people have been talking about it. What is that thing exactly? Is it an alien spaceship? Or is it just a weather balloon? Is the government hiding something from us? Or is there a perfectly logical explanation for it? When our eyes see something that is drastically different from anything that we would ever expect them to see, it can be quite a disturbing thing. Which makes sense when you think about it. But I wonder how often we think about how just the opposite can be true as well. That when our eyes don't see something that we would fully expect them to see, that too can be just as disturbing. And perhaps there is no area of life where that is more the case than when it comes to God. That if God is real, if God is really present in our world, if God is really active in our lives, it is just natural that we would expect to be able to see him. In fact, if we don't see him, if we can't see him, and yet we still firmly believe in him, there are, of course, a lot of people in our world who would look at us as Christians sort of the same way that they probably look at those folks who are just convinced that any day now the little green Martians are going to climb down their ladder from their spaceship and ask to see our leader. This assumption that if God is real, we should be able to expect to see him is so common, so natural, in fact, that today we are starting a brand new worship series where we are going to see a string of Sundays in a row where this is the problem, where people in the Bible misidentify things. They label things a certain way only to have God label it the exact opposite way. And where that misidentification is caused by people putting too much trust in their eyes. They simply expect and assume that if God is real, they ought to be able to see him. And as a result, they form some very quick but also very wrong conclusions. Thankfully, as we kick off that sermon today, that sermon series today, as we celebrate the day of Pentecost, we're going to see Jesus address that root underlying problem. We're going to hear Jesus warn us against putting too much trust in our eyes. Why? Because we're going to hear Jesus say to us today that very often, in fact, the plan 
is for God's work in our world and God's presence in our, worlds to, in our world to be invisible. In other words, for us not to be able to see it. And yet, rather than that causing us to be disturbed, rather than that causing us to form all kinds of wrong conclusions, Jesus' words are going to help us make sense of that. Jesus is going to encourage us to trust a different sense, even more than we trust our eyes. As we look at these words from John 15 and 16 this morning, Jesus urges you to trust your ears, to tell your eyes what they aren't seeing. And as I mentioned, you're going to need to trust your ears because in the earth's last age, God's big plan is for his presence and his activity in our world to be invisible. That was a big point of emphasis in all the words that Jesus spoke to his disciples when he was gathered with them in the upper room the night before he died. In fact, repeatedly Jesus said, I am going back to my Father in a very short amount of time. You are not going to be able to see me any longer. Instead, Jesus promised that when he went back to his Father, he was going to send the Holy Spirit. Now, at the risk of stating the obvious, the Holy Spirit is a spirit. In other words, you can't see him. You can't see what he is up to. And so Jesus is effectively saying that God's visible presence in our world in the form of his flesh and blood is going to come to an end very soon. And from that point forward, the plan is for God's presence and God's activity to be done through the Holy Spirit. In other words, for it to be invisible. Now, it's kind of funny that even though Jesus told us ahead of time that this would be the plan, when Jesus carries out that plan, we still very easily hold it against him. It is so very common and so very natural for us to simply expect that if God is real, we ought to be able to see him. Now, I think that for most of us, at least in most cases, what that doesn't mean is that we would expect that we could go outside, look up into the sky, and suddenly see a cloud that is shaped like the face of Jesus. We're not looking to see some sort of vision. We're not expecting to hear some sort of voice. Instead, what it maybe looks like more often is that if God is in fact real, then maybe we should expect to be able to see him in our circumstances, for example. We tend to equate God's presence and God's activity in our lives with the blessings that we receive. So when things are going well, when we're experiencing success, when the good times are really starting to roll, we tend to see God as the reason behind it. Or for example, if God is really real, maybe we would expect to be able to see him in our experience, in the feelings that we feel. We ought to be able to feel Jesus' presence, for example, maybe when we come to church, maybe when we're out in nature, maybe when we're holding our newborn child in our arms or looking up into the vastness of the night sky. Or maybe if God is real, we would expect that we could be able to see him in our progress. Day by day, our moral behavior is improving. Week by week, month by month, our church is growing. Now, you might be asking yourself, well, what exactly is so wrong with seeing God as the source of each and every blessing in our life? And what exactly is so wrong with feeling the presence of God in our lives? And what exactly is so wrong with sinning less today than we sinned yesterday? And the answer, of course, is nothing. The point is 
we cannot equate God's presence and his activity in our lives with those things that we can see. Because what happens when the opposite is true? What happens when instead of blessing after blessing falling into our laps, it's nothing but frustration and trial and tragedy when nothing is going our way? What happens if when instead of, of feeling God's presence in our lives, the only thing that we feel is like we're all alone, without a friend in the world, certainly without God by our side? What happens if and when instead of sinning less today than we did yesterday, we're actually sinning more than we did yesterday? Is God gone? Has he left? Has he taken a break? Has he gone on vacation? This is why Jesus warns us against putting too much trust in our eyes. He tells us that the plan for the earth's last age is that God's presence in our world would be invisible. He was going back to his Father. He was going to send the Holy Spirit. But notice how Jesus didn't just tell his disciples that these things were going to happen. He told his disciples that these things were going to happen for their good. In other words, God's invisible presence going forward would actually be better than God's visible presence had been. Now, how in the world can that be the case? Well, notice how Jesus describes the work of the Holy Spirit. He says that the Holy Spirit would come to be God's advocate. So the Holy Spirit would come to speak to the world for God and to speak to the world about God. And specifically, Jesus says that the Holy Spirit would come to testify to the truth about him. And believe it or not, every single thing that the Holy Spirit wants to teach us about Jesus would not be true if we could still see Jesus. When Jesus talks about going back to his Father, notice what he says. He doesn't just say that he's going back to heaven or that he's going back to God. It's not as if he took this trip to planet Earth and he stayed a while, but then after a while he got homesick and so he decided to go back. No, he said he is returning to the one who sent him. Jesus didn't just randomly show up here one day. He was sent. He was sent here with a purpose, for a reason, and with a mission. Which means that Jesus isn't going to leave this place. He wasn't going to withdraw his visible presence until that mission was accomplished, until that purpose was complete. And so now the fact that he has is proof that those things are in fact true. You might think of it this way. For the past several months, we've been in the middle of this big home renovation project at our house. And one of the things I've, I've learned throughout that is I've just been amazed how often some of the very same people need to keep coming back to my house over and over and over again to do work. From the plumber to the electrician to the carpenters. First, there's, there's the initial rough work that they do in the early stages of the process. Then once everything is, is almost done, they come back to do some of the finished work. And then maybe if something got left out or there's something that was on back order and so it didn't show up, they have to come back again to install that thing. And then, of course, if anything isn't working properly, they have to come back again in order to fix it. So how do I know when the work is finally complete? I never see them again. Unless they go to church here, of course. Friends, we need to listen to our ears 
to tell our eyes what they are not seeing. Jesus tells us that his invisible presence in our world is actually much better than his visible presence would be. Because it proves to us that we have already seen everything that we need to see from Jesus. His life, his death, his resurrection are proof that the work he came to do, that the work he came to do is complete. Which is exactly the thing that the Holy Spirit wants us to be convinced of. Now, if this is the case, if we need to be careful about putting too much trust in our eyes, then it shouldn't surprise us one bit that the same would be true in a lot of other areas of our life and when it comes to a lot of other important truths about God. As I mentioned, today we're starting this new worship series where we're going to see all kinds of examples where people jumped to all kinds of wrong conclusions because they were putting too much trust in their eyes. And so over and over and over again, we're going to see how the Holy Spirit needs to correct those misunderstandings. He needs to help people see the truth. It's almost as if the Holy Spirit is that one annoying friend that we all have who is constantly correcting us when we don't use a word in just the right way or when our grammar is a little bit off. And by the way, don't ask my wife who that one annoying person in her life specifically is. But it shouldn't surprise us one bit that the Holy Spirit does this work because, again, Jesus told us that this was the plan. He says, when he comes, when the Holy Spirit comes, he will prove the world to be in the wrong. Jesus is saying it's the Holy Spirit's job to go around to the world and saying wrong and wrong and wrong. Every single time a human being using their own instincts, their own imaginations, comes to a conclusion and says, I know what this is. I know that this is true. The Holy Spirit comes along and he says, actually, it's this instead. And Jesus mentions three specific things where the Holy Spirit would do this. He talks about sin, righteousness, and judgment. Because we tend to put a lot of trust in what our eyes see, when it comes to sin, we very easily lump sin into different groups different categories. You got the small sins, you got the medium-sized sins, you got the really big sins. And as a result, it's very easy to convince ourselves that when it comes to the small sins, everybody does those things, right? We can kind of excuse them, we can kind of justify them, we can kind of just write them off. As long as we don't commit the really big sins, we should be okay. Holy Spirit comes around and he says, wrong. Jesus' death on the cross is proof that even the small sins need to be paid for. And Jesus' death on the cross is proof that even the biggest of sins have been paid for. And so what matters when it comes to sin is not so much whether we've committed the small ones or even the really big ones, but whether or not we trust the one person who has paid for each and every sin. Because we tend to trust what our eyes see when it comes to righteousness, we tend to put our focus on very visible, very outward and obvious displays of that righteousness. Maybe the righteousness we focus on is very religious in nature. Go to church each and every Sunday. We read our Bibles every day. We volunteer and serve in all kinds of committees and efforts and events. We give generously in support of our church's mission. Maybe the righteousness we focus on is not religious at all. Instead, we focus on whatever specific things that we march for or kneel for 
all the right causes that we support with our bumper stickers and our yard signs and our social media accounts. In either case, we again put all of the focus when it comes to righteousness on those visible, obvious things. And the Holy Spirit comes around and he says, wrong. There is just one man who was truly and in every way righteous. But the good news, of course, is that he was righteous for all of us. And once again, the fact that he is righteous is proven by the fact that we can't see him anymore. He has gone back to his father. He was found worthy and acceptable to be in the presence of a completely holy God. And the same will be true of each and every person who puts their faith and trust in him. Finally, because we tend to trust what our eyes see, when it comes to judgment, we tend to evaluate a set of ideas or a set of behaviors based on their immediate and obvious results. Jesus came to establish a kingdom, a set of ideas, a set of behaviors that is very much different from and in fact at odds with the ideas and the behaviors of this world and the prince who rules it. And if we just judged based on outward and immediate results, it sure would be easy to conclude that the ideas and behaviors of this world and its prince are far superior to the ideas and behaviors of Jesus. It seems as though it sure is better to promote strength rather than weakness, to promote self-interest rather than service and sacrifice, to promote pleasure rather than pain, to promote self-gratification rather than self-denial. In fact, if a person were to pursue and follow all of those ideas and behaviors that Jesus came to establish, it sure would be easy to think that we are going to get lapped and we are going to get laughed at by the rest of the world around us. But then the Holy Spirit comes around and he says, wrong. The debate between these two sets of ideas and behaviors is really already over because by his death on the cross, Jesus used weakness. He used sacrifice. He used pain to defeat once and for all, all of the strength, all of the aggression, and all of the self-interest that the world can possibly muster. The prince of this world, the devil, has already been judged. He stands condemned. Friends, we need to listen to our ears to tell our eyes what they are not seeing. When it comes to the truth about things like this, when it comes to the truth about God, the evidence that we cannot see is actually much more important than the evidence we can see. We've already seen everything that we need to see from Jesus. His death his life, his death, and his resurrection tell us all that we need to know about sin, righteousness, judgment, and everything else too. You know, it's actually really good news that Jesus tells us that we should not put too much trust in our eyes. That's good news for all Christians. It's especially good news for this group of Christians that calls itself Good News Lutheran Church. I mean, just think for a moment if we were to jump to conclusions about our church based on the things that our eyes can see. 
What if we were to form our opinions or other people were to form their opinions about our church based on the place where our church started or the group of people who started it? But now all of that's changing, right? We're moving out. A new temporary location for the next year. God willing, in the very near future after that, a beautiful new church home. Who knows? Maybe not all that long from now, this group of 25 people that started out in a strip mall is going to be a group of hundreds of people worshiping every week in a big, beautiful, brand new church. Be careful not to put too much trust in your eyes, even then. Whether a church is new and small or old and large and established, we cannot expect that we should just be able to see everywhere God is and everything that God is up to in our lives. And that would be a disturbing thing if not for the fact that God has given us some other senses. And where our eyes often fail us, Jesus has given us his words to read, to learn, to understand where he is and what he is up to in our world. And so no, we cannot put too much trust in our eyes, but the good news is we don't have to. Because when it comes to where God is and what he is up to, his plan has always been and will always be to just come right out and tell us. Amen. Amen.